0: Conversations with Patricia Ndouli, Monday to Thursday, 10 p.m. till midnight.
1: I'd like to welcome Professor Rake Lewis, and he's a professor and director at the Center for Applied Food Sustainability and Biotechnology at the Central University of Technology. Thank you very much for joining us, Professor Lewis. How are you doing this evening?
2: Uh, Thanks, Patricia. I'm doing great, and uh, hi to all your listeners. Good to speak to you.
1: Now, at uh, the Central University of Technology of the Free State, you deal a lot with uh, um, food safety and also just specializing in compromised social behavioral aspects impacting on food safety and organizational food safety culture. COVID-19 has been one that has uh, got a lot of us You know, thinking, especially when the the virus broke out early last year, we we were all worried if we go into the retail stores and buy our tinned food or our loaf of bread or our milk that we could uh, contract COVID-19 from the packaging or even sometimes um, if the bread uh, factory was compromised with someone with uh, COVID-19 in it, even the bread itself could pose a potential threat. Now, uh, Professor, perhaps take us through the research that you and your colleagues have gone through in terms of the food safety and COVID-19.
2: Uh, thanks, Patricia. Thanks so much for the opportunity and the work that you're doing to, to bring this to your, to your listeners. Yes, I think, I think uh, when, when the COVID uh, outbreak you know, uh, 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 dawned upon us, um, uh, many people in different spheres of, of, of business and society was worried about uh, what type of risk do they pose to, to, to the broader society? And us in the food industry were feeling the same way because we wanted to start to mitigate immediately uh, our contribution of, or, or, or perceived contribution to the spread of the virus at the time. Uh, and so as as food scientists, we had to clarify this matter to the consumer and the broader public out there. Uh, what would the risk be, especially as you mentioned, what would be the risk if you, for example, go to a, a, either a butchery or if you go to a retail store or wherever, and you buy some foodstuffs, uh, what would be the risk if you bring that foodstuffs and foods home? And also, what would be the risk if uh, you know if you ingest those foodstuffs? Uh, and what uh, compared to, for example, other activities that we that we do? Um, and you would probably um, all of all of us uh, by now know you know if you enter the retail store. You probably, you know, sanitize your hands. You disinfect the the, um, the holding area of the trolley or the basket that you're using, um, because we we all know by now that organisms or the or the, or the virus rather can be transferred by surfaces. If it wasn't like that, then why would we why would we wash or sanitize our hands, which is surface? Uh and, and and the packaging as well, um, and the bags that we carry our foodstuffs in. So we had to clarify uh, the risk and um, that is what we did our research on and some of my colleagues that, uh, that, that, that co-published the, some of the articles in the broader media about the risk of COVID transmission of food safety. Uh, had to clarify that currently the, the uh, literature out there um, lists food, food and packaging, food packaging specifically, as a relatively low or even negligible uh, uh, risk of of spreading the viral particle um, so and I think that is what the research was about that we've been doing is about setting this the record straight that in terms of the probability of the spread of the viral particle the food source particularly are seen as a relatively low risk
1: well low risk does not mean no risk uh, professor Lewis
2: uh, Tricia, I, I knew that you were going to ask me this question. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think I think you need to, dis, uh, you know, uh, differentiate between uh, 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 something that is a a, a technical a technical uh, t- uh, chance of spread and something that is a, a notable or a risk. Um, the viral particle can and have been shown to. To survive on surfaces and packaging material, um, it has been shown, for example, to survive for up to five days on certain metals and stainless steels. Um, even about the same time, four or five days on glass surfaces. Um, a little bit shorter on some porous surfaces like wood and so forth, and and on on copper and those even shorter. But uh, but it has. Uh, but there you have to differentiate between the food itself and the packaging. Um, The food itself, let's say, for example, bread that you take out of the package or if you bought whatever uh, food you would have bought and you take it out of the package, that is a totally different environment than on the package itself. The virus is relatively sensitive to environments outside of the mucus membranes of the body. As we all know, uh, we know that it, it likes the environment within the mucus or the upper respiratory tract. It does not like the the virus outside on surfaces and so forth, and therefore you must uh, one must also I think distinguish about uh, between every environment where the food is at. You get freeze food for example, you get just food in the cold chain, you get foods that should that are normally cooked or, or prepared at home. So all of those environments are are, are different, but currently the literature that we have. Uh, shows food as a negligible, negligible risk. I may, Patricia, also just mention that the, the viral load on the packaging also plays a role in its infectivity. So theoretically, there may be one or two viral particles, let's say on a bag or on a container or packaging, um, and compared to millions of viral particles on another environment, that will also affect its, uh, its, its virulence or transferability.
1: We are talking uh, to Professor Rake Lewis, who's a professor and director at the Centre for Applied Food Sustainability and Biotechnology at the Central University of Technology at the Free State. A-teamers, hey, we are looking at food safety and COVID-19 packaging and everything else is very, very, very important. But uh, the professor here says it's it's not that much um, that we could find ourselves um, contracting COVID-19 from food itself. Call in and interact with us um, and ask your questions or even give us your comments around the safety of our food products, packaging and the food itself on 11 714 sms go to 41391 you can whatsapp on 0614104107
0: late night conversations with patricia andooley monday to thursday 10 p.m till midnight
1: now, let's talk about disinfection and prevention, um, uh, Professor Lewis. Uh, I know that there's a lot of uh, people who have adopted the the, the the habit, and I think it's a good habit, of washing everything with soap and water when you get home, or disinfecting everything with soap and water. I mean, from your vegetables all the way to your tin stuff and, and wiping down your bread packages. How important is disinfection for prevention purposes of COVID-19 when it comes to food and, uh, and uh, our security uh,
2: well uh, if, you, if you look at the science again that the viral part of particle particle is, is relatively stable at low low lowish temperatures and uh, not freezing specifically but around four degrees Celsius it, 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 it's relatively stable but it, it's very sensitive at higher temperatures of around 70 degrees and higher so if you if you then if we talk about uh, the safety of foodstuffs the first question you must ask is is this a ready to eat food? Or is this a food that will be prepared later on? So if it's something that will be heated in a microwave oven or something that will go through a processing step later on, that, uh, for all practical reasons, is very, very negligible risk because of the, the chance that the organisms will be, or the viruses will be uh, uh, you know, destroyed, is very high because the temperature is higher. So I think, first of all, that is a very important aspect to remember when heating up your foodstuffs. If it is a ready to eat food let's say for example a salad or something like cold meats what 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 one can do in that case is to ensure that when when you handle the packaging or when you take it out of the packaging that you that you employ good good you know preparation practices specifically with regard to um, you know separating the packaging from the product itself which normally is the case so if you for example take out uh, let's say something about um, A a, a product that was in a bag or in a container that you're going to eat raw as it is, Um, then in that case, make sure that you rinse the package before you take out the food stuff. So just rinse the package even if you're going to throw the package away make sure that your hands are cleaned that there's no transfer of any organism to the food stuff the chance that the organism will survive on the food itself is very very low because there's other chemicals there's other environments than on the packaging and uh, yes, as you mentioned, uh, Patricia, just good hygiene, good kitchen hygiene practices, washing your hands, and then of course, if it's ready to eat foods, uh, ensuring that it's uh, you know that it's rinsed and that there is as little as much contact between the packaging and the food itself before you eat it. I think that is very important. But again, keeping in mind that the transfer of the viral particles from the packaging to the food and then you ingest it to get the virus is very, very uh, slow, uh, um, low. um, Technically, it's possible yet, but currently we do not have in literature one case, proven case of where that chain of infection occurred.
1: Let me go to our A team as I've got KGM on the line. Good evening, KGM.
3: Good evening, Patricia. Good evening to your guests and to the listeners. Um, My two cents worth of contribution in as far as this topic is concerned, is this. I think we we have allowed ourselves to be gullible, um, thereby listening and accepting even nonsensical explanations that we have from the so-called professionals. Patricia, I'm a, I'm a Bushman, as you know, from the Kalahari. Ask the three governments, Botswana, Namibia, and South Africa ask ask them have do they have any record of any Bushmen in the the the, the Kalahari uh, Trans Transfrontier Park that has passed on from COVID if you come and you you live with us you you will realize that the so-called hygienic way of living is not something that we observe as per the 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 medical fraternity as it were there are certain enzymes. I'm not a doctor. I'm not a medical practitioner or anything like that. But I'm a knowledge bearer, particularly the indigenous knowledge systems. If you look at, for instance, just digressing a, quick, a bit, but I'll be quick. Uh, we put on masks. We are told that we are protecting ourselves and others from spreading and, and even uh, uh, contaminating ourselves with covid But I mean, we we were told by medicalists that we breathe oxygen and, and exhale carbon dioxide. Now, when you have this mask on, what exactly are you breathing in and exhaling? But back to the issue of the food, and this is just an example of how gullible we are as a people. As Basara, we have got no fridge, we've got nothing that the so-called normal people, for a lack of a better word, use we, we We slaughter, leave the meat there, the flies, and everything goes on to it. We come, it's built on, we eat, everything is okay. We are not dying at the high number if we are to take the numbers that have been announced, comparatively speaking. But we are supposedly living the most unhealthiest lifestyle. Now, to your guest, Can they explain a lifestyle with foods if they have an idea if they have any idea with the foodstuffs or the type of food or the type of diet that we have as well, why are we not being affected as it were patricia thank
1: you very much KGM. thanks
3: for taking my call
1: thank you let uh, let me allow firstly uh, dr lewis to to respond to kgm's uh, comment
2: Thank you so much, Patricia. It's a, it's a very interesting angle. I think it's got a, a lot of work. Um, one will have to determine whether the low rate of mortality amongst the Bushmen is because they, of their lifestyle or just a very resistant, healthy uh, uh, body. You know, um, um, It may be that the transfer of the organisms is just as high as in other populations, but the Bushmen, for example, or some of our natural uh, groupings just to have a much stronger uh, system, and therefore they are just much much better at handling the um, you know the virus. I'm not sure which of the two it may be. One um, will I have to determine that. Um, I, I would imagine that that much of the hard living, and uh, you know, in the sun, as you mentioned, and a lot of the way that the food stuff is pre- prepared. Have, have, have prepared some of these communities and, 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 and some of these tribes to become very resistant in the way that they that they react to pathogens out there. So that may be one of the reasons. I think, second, secondly, very important, uh, your guest mentioned the, the role of indigenous knowledge systems. In our laboratory or in our group center here at CUT, uh, we have a very strong indigenous knowledge system group. And there's definitely a lot of, I think, unexplored, Uh, intellectual property there to to, to find out much of these uh, information that we get, for example, from the traditional healers uh, um, still is there to be explored, um, to look at some of these remedies that they have and go and uh, isolate some of the specific active substances out there but in my mind there's definitely a lot of worth in some of these ind- indigenous knowledge systems but it will take years and a lot of research to follow up all of these remedies and actually look where the you know where the where the active substance is but that there's potentially a lot of worth in it definitely I agree
1: let me go to another A team anonymous good evening
2: good evening to you Patricia
1: good how evening. are you
2: and good evening to your guests.
0: Uh, Patricia, you know, in restaurants, we don't have the inspectors going so often uh, to investigate all the restaurants because sometimes people, they bribe to these inspectors and, and they don't get the restaurant clean because it, some restaurants are very filthy. There's rodents, there's, you know, cockroaches and, uh, you know, these things walk on food and then they keep it in the fridge and sometimes there's old food which they sell to the people. They they sell stale food to the people. Sometimes they sell out, uh, you know, outdated <laughs> bread. And even in mark supermarkets now, they mix the old crop with the new crop. You know, they mix the old uh, old crops with the new crop. And when you come home, you can't keep those crops because even in the fridge, it's uh, getting fungal. So uh, you know, uh, and they put uh, they buy so much stock that they 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 put it in the cold room, take it out, put it in the cold room, take out to sell to the public. Like in the mark supermarkets and in the markets, they do that all the time. And then you you and I end up with the problem, you know, with uh, with the hygiene problem. The best place to be hygienic is at your home, not in restaurants. I never eat food in restaurants because most of the restaurants, some people are very filthy. They go to the loo, they don't, they don't wash their hands, they come and handle the plates and everything else, you know, uh, so I don't eat from restaurants. And I, you can't follow a diet even in a restaurant.
1: Thank you very Thank much you uh, so for much, that, uh, Anonymous. Thank you. Uh, Professor Lewis, so there's also the, the element of um, takeaways and sit-down restaurants that uh, Anonymous is raising, the fact of a safety there. How safe are
2: we in restaurants and
1: from our takeaways?
2: Patricia, I think the first thing that the general consumer need to understand in our country is that there are a lot of processes and systems to protect the consumer. We have, for example, the Consumer Protection Act that very clearly states certain requirements and is there for the consumer as a watchdog and to go to to report some of these matters. I think that's the first thing. Secondly, our compliance systems and regulations are are, quite strong and strenuous. Um, there's in the, there are a variety of quality assurance systems that companies um, on different levels that sell food to the general consumer, which is, you know, takeaway f- uh, 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 outlets or retail or, 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 you know, even informal, some of the informal outlets that need to comply. The, the most basic we have is a certificate of acceptability that need to be issued, for example, by the health inspector in that area or by the environmental health practitioner and so forth. Of course, as your as your listener mentioned, that not there's not always compliance to all of these, uh, some uh, because compliance is often dependent on policing and somebody either reporting it or picking it up. So um, uh, this so in terms of the regulatory requirements, our country is is quite up there, and um, and I think in terms of ensuring safety by our regulatory uh, systems, we we have. The, the, one of the better ones in the world My, uh, whether these are actually followed and enforced that is the question and here we need uh, consumers to really to really come forward and not just things uh, let things lie you know we've all been in a situation patricia I I, I I hope not too many times, but most of us where we had a runny tummy. And we could refer that back to a place where we bought something. All of us were in that situation. You know, my tummy is not nice. I've I've eaten something. It's probably at this and this and that place that I bought it. And then the next day, it's like a 24-hour bug, and then it's gone, and we just then leave it, and we say something like, I'm just not going to buy there again. Well, that's a mistake. You must go back to that outlet, and and you know, or you must do the reporting, and, and 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 just go back and stand on your right and say, look, I'm not accusing you of anything. I'm just saying that I bought something here which may have made me sick. I'm not saying it's you, but I'm just inquiring: Are your systems in place? Uh, your as as your guest mentioned that there's an oh, you know, a carryover of some of the old. Uh, you know, some of the old materials operate to the next day. I mean, that is totally unacceptable, and that uh, that that is not within the way that we should do things. Uh, but as I said, sometimes all our ears and our eyes of the regulatory bodies cannot see everywhere, and uh, and and then it's the consumer that must that must appeal to the systems in the country. Uh, you know, to take those on. Otherwise, a second client may become much more ill than 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 in your case. Just a last comment, Patricia, Um, there was a comment by your listener that, that some of the formal outlets like restaurants and biggers, they are the ones that are sometimes more dangerous. And you know what? I agree with that. We've done a lot of work on some of our informal outlets on smaller outlets, on street vendors, for example, on informal retailers, and, and we've been very impressed with the quality of the food that you buy there. And the big reason is that many of these smaller outlets or retailers, they they carry smaller smaller loads of food, so it's quick in, quick out, maybe one day, and then they start anew. While some of these other outlets, outlets, they may go into storage some of their food for three or four, four five days, and that's where the problem arises.
1: Professor, now, what should we be doing as a parting shot as South Africans to ensure that we are, we are safer when it comes to our
2: food? Um, I think, I think uh, first of all, uh, Patricia, is to be aware of what the label says. Labeling has been really out, out there and understand that there's a difference between best before or sell by. And this is really a, something that we want to get across to consumers. Sometimes there's a sell-by and sometimes sometimes there's a best before. Best before relates to the quality of the food, but sell-by relates to the safety of the food. So have a look at the sell-by date. Make sure that if you buy something, if you buy a can of goods, if you buy packets, packaged foods, whatever you do, that you have a look at the sell-by date, ask the person on the other side when has this buy been prepared. Is it today? Is it fresh? And it's your right not to buy food that's not fresh. So look at the packaging, uh, look at the uh, at the labelling, and uh, and ask when the food has prepared. And then, if you may pick up something, either some uh, dirty activities, uh, some food that that's not. As a consumer, it's your right to go to the relevant bodies and don't just leave it there because if you let it be, the next consumer or the next client is the one that will be uh, done.
1: Thank you very much, uh, Professor Lewis. It's uh, a really great uh, information that you've given us and we are going to definitely make sure that uh, we keep an eye out and we practice food safety so that we don't find ourselves on the wrong end of
3: the stick. It's been a great pleasure.
2: Thanks a million, Patricia. Thanks so much.